The reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 36, and then going through to 25, verse 13. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had not known, had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of the household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let me pray for us uh, as I start. Dear Lord, I do pray that uh, just as you taught these disciples as they uh, came to you, that you will now uh, teach us through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and that we would learn from you, um, know more about you, and better able to serve you. Amen. So the reading uh, that uh, Julie read to us is, uh, is Jesus' answer to a question that the disciples have asked him. And uh, this is the question. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So last week you were looking at um, the answer to the, what will be the signs And today we're looking at Jesus' answer to the question, when will it happen? So I was wondering to myself, so, you know, did the disciples have a calendar or a diary or something and are they going to say, okay, so what date was that, Jesus? I'll just make a note of that. 
um, one thing we can be sure is they didn't have one of these and um, which are very useful because maybe they would pop up ping up and say Jesus returns tomorrow <laughs> okay well I better get ready well of course they didn't have that we don't know and these may be clever but they're not that clever so we all the same need to be ready so my first point is no one knows the day or the hour that's what Jesus says no one knows not even the angels in heaven know not even the son not even Jesus himself knows the day or the hour only the father knows now there's a very obvious question there you may want to use your uh, phones to ask the question why does Jesus not know we'll maybe deal with that later but there are two things that Jesus says makes very clear that you won't know the day or the hour and that comes at the beginning of our uh, passage and also at the end and it's important to note that because often that's important if it's you get it at the beginning and the end it's saying something so you won't know the day or the hour but secondly not only won't you know the day or the hour but it will come when you don't expect it not always the same thing you may know something is going to happen but then it comes when you didn't expect it to now you may know that there have been many Christians who have uh, over the years tried to predict what this date would be uh, a lot of people thought the year 2000 would be the day uh, that um, that Jesus would return or the world would end and they spent a lot of people spent years uh, um, studying scriptures studying what's happening in the world around them trying to do the maths and work out when the date would be some guy called Michael Stiffel who's a mathematician as well as a Christian he predicted that Jesus would come back at 8 o'clock in the morning on the 19th of October 1533 some uh, uh, rather sarcastic person said the worthy gentleman would not venture to be any more specific now I want to venture to suggest that if Jesus doesn't know when it is then it's kind of unlikely that anybody else will furthermore and follow the logic here if um, if he's going to come sorry if you work out a date when he's going to come then I think you can know it's, it'll probably be wrong because then it wouldn't be unexpected and Jesus says it will be unexpected so what are we to do with this information so we know that Jesus is coming but we don't know when he's coming so how should we live with a knowledge like that how would that impact our lives or should it well Jesus goes on in the passage to give us three parables which illustrate how we are to apply this and there are three things first to keep watch or be expectant second to be faithful and third to be ready so let's look at the first of those therefore keep watch so in this uh, short parable it's about a thief uh, where the thief is uh, <clears throat> uh, it says that somebody knew that the thief was going to come to the house and they would be ready they would watch out for them now the main point in this parable because you could go askew with it but the main point is the illustration about the thief and that the, the element that the thief uses is surprise that's his main thing chief weapon you're not going to get a text from the thief saying I'm kind of coming to nick stuff from you you won't know he wants to to surprise you 
years ago uh, we lived in this village and there was a lady there in, in a big house and uh, we knew her a bit and anyway she opened the front door into the hall and there was a guy coming down the stairs so she says to him who are you and he says I'm the burglar then he rushed out the door <clears throat> Now, if she had known, it was probably a surprise to both of them, but if she had known that he was coming, she could have been ready. But the thing is, you see, for us, what exactly does keep watch mean? What does that mean? Does it mean spend hours standing at your bedroom window looking out to see if Jesus is coming back? Well, perhaps it's easier to think of this in terms of expectation. What do we expect Jesus says in verse 37 that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be for his coming. People will be eating and drinking. They'll be marrying and getting married, giving in marriage. So people will be going about their everyday life just as they normally would. And they would have no expectation that anything is going to happen. Now, that sounds a lot like today. There are many who don't give it a second thought go about their life with no reference to God, no belief or faith in Jesus' promise that one day he would come back. The one who died for us and then gloriously rose from the dead will one day come again to reign. Maybe to them it seems like something that's far-fetched. But then so did the destruction of the temple until it happened. But to expect that one day Jesus will return does give us a completely different view of life. It will shape what you think and how you live. For example, it means that history is going somewhere. It's not some random or meaningless series of events. History is going somewhere. The end of history will be the return of the king, our personal saviour who knows us and what it is to be human. It's not something then to fear or dread if we trust in him, but something to hold on to in eager expectation, the coming of joy and glory. Now the BBC website picture uh, that um, I picked up here, um, probably after the Denmark game, I don't know, but uh, it said underneath in a caption, only football can make you feel like this. I dare say if you don't like football too much, you won't disagree. Uh, I must admit that some of the games I have felt a bit like that. But when Jesus returns, that will be nothing compared to the celebrations that there will be then. If you can imagine what it would be then when he returns and you know there is an end to death and sickness and suffering, an end to evil and cruelty. Maybe we get ourselves so caught up with material things that we don't see the bigger picture. Go about as if life is all there is. I've often reflected that the gospel and God's promises make more sense, have more impact on the poor and the oppressed than they do on the wealthy and the comfortable. The promise will mean more to someone who's maybe stuck in a prison for their faith than someone else. So then, we are to watch, be expectant. But secondly, 
we are to be faithful. So Jesus now switches to another parable and an, <coughs> excuse me, another angle on this uh, topic. There's this guy who's a servant who's put in charge of the household and uh, he gets to thinking that the master's gone a long time. Maybe I can do whatever I like. Mistreat people, behave badly. Well, it doesn't matter because I can fix it later on. The delusion of this servant is that he thinks he has plenty of time to put things right. When in fact, he hasn't a clue how much time he has left. And that is so true to people today in their thinking, in my experience. People say things like, well, I can wait to think about God and heaven and all that stuff when I'm older. I can investigate Jesus' claims at some other time. But surely if the pandemic has taught us anything, we don't know what is around the corner. Things can change very quickly. But it's not just that. Because someone has reflected recently that most people, when they reach the end of their life, do so with the same attitude that they have held throughout it. If they have known Jesus, had a faith, then they end their life with that knowledge. And if they have reflected, sorry, rejected and ignored Jesus, then they die with the same attitude. It's not impossible to change, but it's not always easy to change the habit we've got into, the road we are on. Better to get right with God today when we hear him speak. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3. Now is the day of salvation. So what will Jesus find us doing when he returns? Well, the third parable that Jesus gives, and uh, it uh, really illustrates being ready or prepared, <clears throat> is a parable of the ten virgins. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always found this parable a bit difficult to relate to. Because you might think to yourself, well, I've never, I've never been to a wedding anything like this uh, described here. And you probably haven't, because this is the wedding that you would maybe have in a Jewish village um, at the time that Jesus said, but actually probably still now uh, in many places. So let me just give you an idea of what this Jewish wedding would be like. The bride and the groom, <clears throat> they didn't go on honeymoon. Uh, what they did was they uh, went into their house, they were gonna, their new house that they're going to live in, um, and with a whole bunch of people, and they would then celebrate for about a week. Um, and how they got into there was the bride and the bridal party, which would include a bunch of uh, young women with lamps. Uh, they would... Uh, be waiting and they will be waiting for the bridegroom to come and collect them go on a procession go to the house if you're with me now the thing is as they're waiting not like uh, the wedding today they wouldn't have a clue when the bridegroom's going to come he could come today he could come tomorrow he could come in the middle of the night so they have to be ready and uh, and if they're having to go in the night as in this case in the reading you may have noticed it was midnight then they would need the lamps because you're not allowed out on the streets without a lamp at night. Furthermore, the groom, it had become tradition that the groom would deliberately try and catch out the bridal party, catch them when they're not ready. 
So you begin to see, don't you, why Jesus chose this particular illustration. <clears throat> so anyway, I've been thinking that, that we may think that this is a, <coughs> you know, a, a very strange custom that the brides, uh, that the Jewish people would have. But, you know, you think about the customs we have on weddings where you take somebody's perfectly good car and decorate it very badly and tie stuff to the back of it. That's a pretty strange thing. But anyway, so get back to these ten virgins. So they're part of the bridal party. And they're, they're, re they're ready, they must be ready, because they don't know when the groom's going to come. And, uh, and what we learn about them is that five of the ten <clears throat> are not prepared. They don't have enough oil to last. But interestingly, they would have looked just like the others. They had all the gear, they've got the lamps, they're waiting for the others, with the others, but they're not in the same position as the other five. So how do we relate that to us and our, and our lives? <clears throat> well, significantly, the groom says to the ones that are shut out, I don't know you, verse 12. So for us, we need to know and trust in Jesus Christ for ourselves. We need to assort his forgiveness, acknowledge him as our Lord and Saviour, or we are not prepared for his coming. And this is brought out by two other things about this story. The girls could not borrow other people's oil. So, too, we cannot rely upon somebody else's faith just because we've got a friend who's a Christian, or that we've got a relation, a relative who is. And maybe we're sympathetic to that faith. But that doesn't make it our faith. It doesn't make Jesus our Lord. So we need to have our own relationship with him if we are to be prepared to meet him. Secondly, there are certain things which cannot be got at the last minute. It was too late for them to go buying oil. When you get to the day of the exam and you realize you haven't actually done anywhere near enough revision, it's too late. Some things are too late. For the young women, when they got to the door, it was for them too late. And that is a very sobering thought for us as we think about Jesus' return. And we need to heed the warning. Get to know him while we can. So we are to watch, expect his return, be faithful and live in the now and be ready to meet him when he comes. Amen. Thanks everyone for your questions. We've had lots of really good ones. Well, I think they're good. Andrew might not agree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so let's start with the question on everybody's lips. Um, how is it possible that Jesus doesn't know something that God the Father does? They're the same God. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the question, for taking trouble to do that. Um, yeah, good questions. Whether or not I can give good answers is another matter. But <clears throat> yeah, so this one. Um, yeah, so you, it might be a question that you ask and that a lot of people down through the years have asked because... If Jesus is one with the Father, as he says, and he is, then how could he not know? 
Well, I think the thing is that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God, but then he was fully human. And, uh, and because he was fully human, there were limitations upon what he could do. You could see that that's the truth. He had to eat and he had to drink, he had to sleep. Uh, he could only speak to whoever was in front of him and he could only be at one place at one time. So there are limitations to the Son of God because he had become a human being for us. And uh, so it seems from this there are limitations also in what he can know. Only the Father knows that. Now whether now that he's back in heaven with God, I can imagine that he probably would know when the second coming is. But at that time, he was a human being as well as the Son of God. hope that makes sense. Great. Um, okay, this one's very popular. Um, so should we try and convince people of the second coming of Jesus before they're a Christian, or should we just tell them Jesus died and rose again? Yeah, okay, good question. I think, um, I mean, there's no formula for this, is there? Because you respond to how, who it is you're speaking to and, uh, and to the questions they have. Um, you know, like, like Paul says, I am all things to all men. He meets the person where that person is. So there's no formula. But I, I think um, that, that, that whoever's asked the question has, uh, has picked up that what you would try and speak to them about is the fact that Jesus Christ died for them. Uh, and that's why he came. So uh, I would imagine that's what you start with. Um, so yeah, the, the second coming of Jesus, that would be probably further on down the line, unless they particularly pick that up. Um, but I think you've got to understand the first coming, haven't you, really? Mm. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, how can we look forward to Jesus' return when we know that it will be bad news for our friends and families who don't believe in him? Okay. You didn't tell me about that one. Did I not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, I think, uh, yeah, people have said this to me before. You know, so what's going to happen to my family? If I become a Christian, you know, what about them? Well, the thing is that maybe their best chance of becoming a Christian is for you to become a Christian. So... I think we can look forward to Jesus' return because we know that he uh, is, is, is the king, that when he comes then love will reign. What we think about what happens to anybody else, we're going to have to leave with him, really. Uh, if, if we know the truth that, that Jesus is the son of God and he came to die for us, then that's the truth. And uh, we've got to live, leave whatever uh, happens to other people uh, with him really, um, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I mean, the Bible teaches that people will be judged by their, um, how they've lived their life, if they, if, you know, which, of course, might be bad news for us, uh, you know, we, uh, because, you know, we're, we're sinful, so we need to be forgiven. Um, so we have to be right with, with Christ, and, and it seems to indicate that everybody else will be judged by their life. Um, so, yeah. So uh, that, that's what I would say, that uh, the best um, uh, solution for anybody is for us to become a Christian and then try and l enable them to. Um, mm. what, what happens after that, we've got to leave with God, who is uh, the best judge. 
Great. Sorry to spring that one on you. No, no. A <laughs> um, couple more. So, um, you say be ready. Well, what should you physically do to be ready? Yeah. Well, hopefully in the talk, I've sort of given you some ideas about that. It's, uh, I don't know that it's a physical thing. It's, it's what you do uh, in your heart and, and in your mind. Um, to be ready is to trust in Jesus Christ and accept Jesus Christ. That's being ready because then you're forgiven. It's not what, you, know, you know what the gospel says. It's not about what you do in your life. It's, it's putting your trust in Christ and being forgiven. So that's being ready. Okay, so this question says, how can we know if we're sufficiently ready? What if we run out of oil? Yeah. Do you think that answers the, the one we just asked? Or? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, if you want to try and understand what, what the oil is in the parable, I mean, you know with parables you've got to be careful that you don't try and make everything in the parable fit some part of Christianity. Um, the main point was, was that the these ten virgins, they weren't, sorry, five of them weren't ready, they hadn't prepared, and they hadn't put themselves right. And being ready is to be, uh, to know Jesus Christ. That's, that's being ready. So if you want to try and force a parallel there, I suppose it's if you have the Holy Spirit, that's the oil. So if you've got Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to run out of anything, basically. Mm. Great. Let, uh, should we do one more? Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, many people have not heard the gospel either by persecution, authorita authoritarian rule, etc. How might Jesus view those people compared to those who have heard the gospel but then choose not to believe? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I think that we're making an assumption there, aren't we? In, in the question that there'll be some people who haven't heard about Jesus. And. Uh, um, you know, you, know in, in, you look in the Old Testament that, uh, that, that uh, like David, he knew that somehow God was going to save him because uh, uh, he didn't know about Jesus Christ, but he knew that God would somehow make a way by which he could be saved. And so maybe there are people who haven't actually um, heard about Jesus, but they would know that there is some way God is going to save them. Um, yeah, so, um, could you read that question again? Yes. <laughs> I lost so, myself. Many people have not heard the gospel yeah. either by persecution or authoritarian mm. rule. How might Jesus view those people compared to those who have heard the gospel but yeah. choose not to believe? So, the first part of my answer is, is what I've just told you. Um, but, the, but the other thing, I suppose, we, we uh, in, in, the, in the gospels it does say uh, something like, it might be better for you had you not heard of Jesus uh, and rejected him than if you'd never heard of him at all. So, um, uh, what, what, um, what that means is that maybe then Jesus would and God would look at differently at people who had never heard than he would look at people who had heard and rejected him. So, yeah, we are, we are to accept Christ because we know him. So, in a sense, the question is irrelevant for us because we have heard him. Um, whether there are people who have never heard him, and I, I don't know. We don't know, do we? Um, but um, we know that, good, that God is a good judge. So if they've not heard, then you know, that would be taken into account, in my opinion. Mm, that's great. 
Thanks, Andrew, for answering okay. those. And thanks for your questions. Thank you, yeah.